Welcome, welcome, everybody, to episode four of Belt a Louder for the people in the back. Today, we're going to be talking about episodes five and six of uh, season one of The Expanse. Uh, this is our time to talk about uh, class warfare in space, along with the really neat technology that is uh, you know, behind the the whole space drama that is the expanse. Uh, but yeah, before we uh, before we get into the show, uh, it was something I wanted to talk about uh, is you and I, Chris, have talked about uh, this very silly looking, very shiny spaceship that Elon Musk is like dead set on building. It is and, a giant space penis. <laughs> yes, and and a shiny one at that. And they launched another one yesterday. And it went yep. kaboom, but it did successfully like take off and land. So it didn't just go kaboom. It didn't just explode. Correct. It did some other stuff. But I was hoping you could explain, because I know you've explained this to me before, but I'm kind of <laughs> stupid. Explain to me, A, what this ship is for, B, why it's so shiny, and C, why they keep going boom. Oh, God. Uh, well, they keep going boom because things keep going not correctly. Um, that's the short answer <laughs> for that one. Um, but they went much more correctly this time uh, than the previous one. So this is, you know, it's the iterative uh, project called Starship that is being worked on by SpaceX. Um, the so fun this is with some this kind one, of a, this is some kind of a land ship then. Y- yes, exactly. It's a ship meant for traveling to the land on other fucking planets. Um, no, but really, what it what it is, it's a, it's it's basically the next generation of um, uh, launch vehicle coming out of SpaceX. It is. One thing that you don't get a sense of from watching these videos really is like just how incredibly large this thing is. It is massive. It is absolutely just incredibly huge. Um, and so what they're doing right now is they're testing out this this ne- this next generation of rockets and uh, working their way toward uh, a full landing demonstration. So basically, this is exactly the same thing that we did. Uh, at SpaceX when I was there with the Grasshopper program uh, in Texas, where we were taking a Falcon 9 and using a single engine on it and just progressively going higher and higher to see what would happen. Um, with Starship, they they uh, have kind of skipped. I guess they did, they did have uh, one that did kind of do that at the beginning. Um, but they've moved on now to the point where they this last flight, it went up 10 kilometers and then hovered for a few seconds. I think it hovered for like, it looked like it hovered for a while, but I didn't, they didn't list the altitude on the video, so I didn't really get to see. Um, Hovered for a while and then basically turned its engine off and just started falling. And the point of those wings on it is that it creates an aerodynamically stable, what's called a lifting body. And so that allows Mm -hmm. it to fall uh, like uh, a baby duckling uh, from that, that memorable clip from planet Earth. Uh, or was it but Planet so, Earth Two? I forget which. Where so like kinda... so like like lawn darts is what you're saying. They're basically playing lawn darts <laughs> with just a giant a giant shiny thing. Uh, lawn darts, except that these are uh, these are darts that in that stay horizontal as they fall. So it doesn't it doesn't nose down into the earth because of the way that it's uh, the mass is distributed and the way that the wings are are built on it. Those fins, those gigantic fins that do make it look like a space dick. Um, it is a it is capable of controlling itself passively, but then it also does have uh, aerodynamic stabilization and control through uh, at least some of those fins. I believe I haven't actually you know worked on this one, um, and so it's able to use those fins to control itself and keep itself self nice and stable as it's falling. And then at the very end, right before it's about to touch down, it fires the three engines, kicks itself back upright, 
turns off two of the engines, uses a single engine to land itself because uh, these are very powerful engines and most of the fuel has been mm-hmm. spent by this point. So the rocket is coming in uh, with a very little little mass relative to what it was when it took off, uh, which means it only needs the one engine to stop itself because actually if you fire all three engines, uh, it would go right back up again. Uh, and the whole point is to null your, uh, your downward velocity uh, as close to the ground as possible with as little extra fuel as possible. So you're basically burning one engine for a short period of time, and then ideally you touch down pretty softly. Um, I thought it was huh. hilarious okay. how the narrator said, we have a soft touchdown, and I'm watching it, and I'm like, that fucker bounced. Like, it bounced, <laughs> and it bounced hard. Yeah. Uh, there is no such thing as a little bounce when it is a vehicle that is that diameter and height. Uh, it, so I, my guess is that the landing... Uh, probably dislodged something that was not supposed to be dislodged and caused like a fuel leak, which uh, eventually uh, turned into a gigantic fireball and launched the rocket a second time, uh, 14 and a half minutes after the initial takeoff, uh, nine minutes after it had landed. Uh, But it was incredibly successful from the perspective of they learned a lot more this time, because if you remember the first Mm -hmm. one that they did that looked like this, it just like slammed into the ground real hard. Uh, the second one similarly did, did also slammed into the ground, but also uh, managed to slow itself down. I think more than the first one. I forget honestly, they're kind of blending together. But it was uh, you know this is this is the process of testing out new engineering on a scale and uh, scope that just hasn't been done before. Nobody launches rockets this size. These are like I believe some of the biggest rockets since the Saturn V days, and the Saturn V rockets literally only had to go in one direction, like. All they had to do was go up. And going up, frankly, is the easy part for the rockets at this point in the game. Like, it's the landing part that everybody is struggling with and everybody's trying to replicate what it is that SpaceX has uh, more or less mastered. At least at this point with the, the Falcon 9, it's pretty much old hat. Uh, things only go wrong when it's like the fifth or sixth flight of the booster, which is, again, but, unheard of. But so so my question here is, yeah. uh, why is it shiny? Oh, why is it shiny? I totally forgot to answer that. Uh, the reason why it is shiny uh, is because the oh, I used to know like an actual way of describing this, but basically, it's shiny because the uh, all of the other techniques for building this rocket wouldn't work. Um, so by process of elimination, it turned into a polished steel, uh, polished I believe it's stainless steel uh, was the most successful way of doing this because it, when you're when you're coming in and you're using your um, shell, uh, the outer shell of the rocket as an, an aerodynamic braking surface, there's a technique that they were t- contemplating using, at least I believe, back in the day of, um, I think it was blowing either, not the liquid oxygen, but blowing some kind of um, uh, cooled uh, fluid, I believe it was a gas, probably cold nitrogen, uh, out through the through pores in the surface, which would help to keep it from overheating, uh, which would allow it to basically replace having a, like an ablative surface. Like one of the things that's going on with the the Falcon 9 rockets is that those are covered in uh, an electrostatically dissipative paint on top of a layer of cork, uh, or at least they mm-hmm. were back in the day. Um, because A, uh, you don't want to have lightning destroy the whole damn rocket if something goes wrong, like, you know, thunder and lightning because that's the thing you have giant lightning towers all around the rocket launch pad but sometimes the lightning just decides to strike the rocket when it's out there on the pad and you don't want it to do destroy everything 
Um, and then you've got the, uh, it also, as you're going up, you build up a lot of static charge on the outside of the rocket. But the big thing mm-hmm. is that the, the cork, um, provides the thermal insulation that's necessary to prevent too much ice buildup as well as too much reheating on, um, on the way back down. Uh, and it kind of gets scorched and ablated on the way back in. That's why the rockets look kind of dirty, uh, as yeah. they're coming back. Cause the, the flames and the soot run up the side of the rocket. It's kind of fun. Um, I haven't really thought about explaining this for a while, so I apologize for being kind of rambling and not as coherent as I'd like to be, but such is life when you put me on the spot. (laughs) But so, so basically the, the point of this, of this starship is that it can ostensibly take us to Mars. Like that's the plan. I I believe it, if not this particular model and iteration of it, because it's still in testing right now, obviously, but mm-hmm. uh, that is the plan is that this is the vehicle that will get us up into orbit and then eventually to Mars. Uh, so, so what you're saying is it's it. going to get bigger and shinier. That's what that's what we can look for. And uh, more exploding. I think, like that's the important part it's... is bigger, bigger explosions. It, the goals are less explosions. We need preserve the level Mars of shininess. We fucking landed. Like we can't just can't just touch down. We have to yeah, we gotta uh, let them know that we're thinking about them. Yeah, no, that's not how this works. Um, but the the shininess will remain, I believe. Uh, that is the plan. Um, I don't know that it's gonna get any bigger. I think that there might be another compo- component of it. Honestly, I haven't been watching to see how it's developed. It used to be that this that space uh, starship would sit on top of a bigger rocket, um, mm-hmm. but uh, maybe not. I don't know. I haven't paid attention. I don't work for Elon anymore. Uh, I just like watching the videos and hoping things don't explode because it's, I feel bad for my, my former colleagues every time something does explode. Cause it's not a good feeling. Well, we will uh, figure out how to twist your arm into getting us, uh, you know, the first couple of worker B spots in Elon Musk's new town out in Texas. Oh. Um, but, but before we do that, let's actually, let's, uh, let's turn from real science to the, the fictional science that we are actually here to talk about uh, this week and every week. So this uh, this week we're going to be co- bah, words hard. We're having this a good week time we're going right to be covering now. episodes uh, yeah five and six <laughs> of the Expanse. Uh, Logan, uh, me and Chris have been doing a lot of talking. I'm going to turn it over to you real quick to catch us up. Like in Media Race, where are we hopping in? Where's the crew at? Uh, the crew is kind of just floating through space right now because of the destruction of the Donager and mostly because they don't, you know, like most millennials, they don't want to be perceived right now. And (laughs) they're just trying to not be noticed. And uh, what changes is that somebody does. I mean, that is something we haven't discussed and we probably should at some point is what happens to generational cohorts when people are living to 200 years? Because they don't really discuss this in the TV show, but in the books, they make a point of like Avasarala is like 125 years old or whatever when like we we, when we jump into this, you know, people live significantly longer in this expanse universe, unless they're a belter than unless they're a belter. (laughs) Yeah. Well, speaking of uh, living for long periods of time, so they they did take a little bit of damage as they were getting away from the Doniger before they uh, got that right. mysterious message that we'll be talking about in a minute. Um, but uh, our, our our good friend Amos uh, took a took a shot to the leg. I, I do appreciate the fact that he does tend to be the only member of the crew getting shot on a routine basis, um, aside from Shed R.I.P. Uh, but Shed kind of took a railgun to the head, which is a very different 
experience okay. from oh, you know what? Hey, most Chris, folks. We didn't cover yeah. this last time, so I'm going to make you science again. Oh, what no. the fuck is a rail gun? Oh, God. Uh, no, we talked about this a little bit last time, but that's fine. Um, basically, a rail gun is a, uh, a pair of rails, because they are very good at naming these things. It's a pair of rails that you 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 basically uh, you create, you induce a magnetic field by running current through them. And most rail guns, what ends up happening is that the, um, the thing that you're shooting basically is bridging the connection between those two rails, which creates the short circuit, which allows the current to flow, which then creates the magnetic field, which then induces a forward acceleration in the projectile. So the projectile basically is creating a short circuit and shooting itself forward at the same time. And you do that in a controlled manner and uh, with a specific amount of electricity and pointing in the right direction. And you basically have a very, 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 very fast kinetic destructive weapon. Um, not, it's not, ex most of these are not going to be explosive because that would be really just stupid. You, you don't need it. Like just no. F equals MA at the, at yeah. the speed that these things are traveling, like the force that they're exerting, the, the kinetic energy is just going to rip through everything. You don't really need to put anything explosive on it. I think at one point in the books, and I, I think it's towards the uh, second half of the series of books, like book five or book six, they, they have a line along the lines of, uh, it's amazing how much damage a little piece of tungsten would do when accelerated to a non-trivial constant of C or a non-trivial percentage of C. <laughs> And that means, that's and that's not even like it. close to C. Like we're talking like no. a half percent of C. Like that thing is just fucking flying. But once it impacts anything, and that energy has to dissipate because energy can neither be created nor destroyed. It's got to go somewhere. That'll just rip a hole through whatever the ha whatever it happens to be pointing at. And this is something that the U.S. military has been talking about developing because rockets, as Chris was explaining earlier, those are really expensive and like hard to control, and sometimes they go boom. But you know what's not hard to control and not as expensive? is chunks of tungsten that you can literally shoot around the orbit of the planet and slam into the enemy on the other side of the planet. Like, you just do the physics and the math there, and you can use so, rail guns for a lot of destructive power. The 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 fun. So it's 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 very hard to do something where you can launch it around the planet. Like that's creating a like an uh, a ballistic trajectory with space. a rail gun. Yeah. So they, I believe, what did they call them? There was a, an idea back in, I believe it was the 80s, back in like the Star Wars era. Star Wars? Not the good Star Wars, but like... The, no, they literally, the they called it Star Wars. Yeah, yeah, but... That was the name of the defense program. But that, was, but that was with mostly lasers, I believe, right? That, that wasn't when they were talking about the, the tungsten kill rods that they were saying, hey, we just basically like shoot this down at the Earth from a, from a satellite. Drop it from space. Yes, and and it would create enough of uh, there'd be enough kinetic energy that it's basically the equivalent of like a, I believe it was like a tactical nuclear warhead, um, which is absolutely insane. I can actually find you a video of the U.S. Navy railgun and play it here. Yeah, uh, if they take if we it, they take a to. tremendous amount of energy in order to do that. So, um, but uh, sorry, I got us very very distracted. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I do find that the physics of and the the science behind railguns is like fascinating. If only we would use it for something useful. But you know, war. Um, but anyways, back to back to you, Logan. Um, so we're we're kind of dropping into things here. We've got the the crew of the uh, Tachi, as it's still called, the stolen Martian warship, is uh, kind of licking their wounds and trying to figure out what the hell they're gonna do. Yeah, and. The answer at the start of it is they have no fucking clue what it is that they are supposed to do. 
Uh, they know they can't go back to Mars because everyone on Mars who believes them is dead. Uh, and like Amos <laughs> said, so what? We're just going to show up in a Mickey Corvette with a dead Martian in the trunk. I'm sure they'll roll the red carpet out for us. So uh, that's out. Such a way with I yeah, know, the, I love the, Amos. The Martians, seem, the Martians seem very understanding. They seem like a very open-minded people. Yes, very hey, forgiving. Hey, hey. <laughs> uh, they uh, get a message from Fred Johnson. Uh, they don't know how, uh, but uh, they do get a message from him saying, uh, hey, whoever you are, uh, I know that you were on the Donager. Uh, come here. I'll give you safe harbor. And Naomi's not into it. Uh, and Amos is, you know, tied with Naomi. Oh, here we go. And uh, I, I'll finish this yeah. up. And then, uh, it, long story short, uh, they basically convince each other, okay, Fred Johnson is the best option that we have. And so then they start heading to Tycho Station. So um, I found a video uh, that's, it's, I'm, it's not going to have it. I'm going to make sure there's no audio because we don't care. Um, but this, this, uh, shows you that that's a railgun firing right there. Uh, this is extremely slow motion video. Yes. Like extremely slow motion of this just incredibly fast projectile. How have we all not just <laughs> killed ourselves? Oh, How we're working toward it. We're, I mean, we're, look at that thing. we're really good at killing things. How are we all alive right now? Look at what it does, Good man. God. <laughs> yep. <laughs> My this is God. Through, it's through like inches of material. So like you can see the, the, the casing that's around it, that uh, that's the part that's used to create the short circuit. And it's, you know, expelled as soon as it is, it's, is out of there. But that's like what it looks like when it's shooting through multiple layers of uh, armor. Like Indiana Jones and the last crusade where he shoots three Nazis with the loot with one Luger round, but yeah. with buildings. Oh, hey, look, they show a clip from the expanse. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> OK, OK. Oh. I, th I think that's the universe telling us to get back on fucking track. Yeah. Oh, unfortunately, unfortunately, Space Force at this point doesn't do anything with rail guns. They just kind of like read <laughs> memos. I would say fortunately, honestly, um, I'm I'm glad that uh, our 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 boys in I guess it's gray and gray or gray I don't know uh, wow. don't have rail guns yet because that would be terrifying. But anyway, do we want to talk about you know the the healing technology yeah. now? Let's do that. Yeah. All so right, uh, yeah, so they had to run for the Tachi as they were leaving the Donager, and as uh, you know, a little bit of foreshadowing here for for Amos's uh, character arc. He uh, he gets shot. Uh, it's gonna happen more than once as we as we work our way through this. Uh, but he's got this really gnarly compound fracture, and this like in today's world, like if I had to treat this compound fracture, it would really suck for you. I would have to get you to a surgeon. Your life could be in danger. Like this is an open compound fracture uh, in yeah, a so very sensitive a, part of the body. What's a compound fracture for people who are not uh, so, EMS? So, so this is an open fracture, so that means that the bones have, have pushed through the skin, like all the way through the skin. A closed fracture is when the bones stay inside the skin. It's a compound fracture because it's broken in more than one place, right? Like these recoilless rifles hit him a couple of times and shattered his uh, 
his tibia, it looks like, which is the lower part of your leg. Uh, it's something that you really need for walking and stability. And like I said, this is something where if this happens with today's medical technology, one, your life is in danger. Two, you need a surgeon to fix this. Like, there's nothing we can do about that in the field. But 400 years in the future, they've got slightly better technology. Oh, you know God, I forgot how gnarly it is. I think yeah, it's gnarly. God damn it. Just hold him still. No. I like that little touch with the glove. Where's Alex? I'm coming. I'm coming. Oh, Jesus. Don't catch him up. I'm not shit. I don't know what I'm doing. Neither did he. Just give him the shot. Which one do I use first, the antiseptic or the... That. Man, that's that's some good antiseptic spray, and probably also some very good morphine. Yeah, good analgesic. Good as new. Whatever you say, boy. <laughs> yeah. But so they just slap this like cool little like stabilizing traction splint on there that like automatically tightens around the leg uh, and starts doing the healing process, uh, which is pretty cool because like if you're out in space, you can't really um, get to a hospital easily. The, the distances we're talking about here, you're pretty much like you're out there on your own. And like back in the day when we, you know, we, we were more like a seafaring folk around the Western hemisphere and we had more pirates and stuff. If that happened to one of your pirate crew, uh, healing him was basically throwing him overboard and just being like, well, that guy's going to die eventually, so we're just going to get rid of him rather than let him die in our hole and uh, suck down morale. Or or making him peg-legged. You know, chop I mean, that leg if you off. Could, if you could safely remove it, yes. Well, that's, you just needed to have a barber on board. That was their job. I mean, it was the barber surgeon slash, you know, dude with a knife. <laughs> that was literally the job. Fun fact I learned, this is a complete non sequitur, but do you know why pirates wore an eye patch? Uh, no. It was to preserve night vision. So you would yep. keep the patch over your eye when you're outside, and then when you went down below decks, you would move it to the other eye, and you would still have night vision in one eye. And so that way, because there are no, like, you couldn't have torches and lanterns in a fucking wooden ship. No. Like, it was dark Full as night down powder. there once you weren't on the top of the deck. But so that's what it was for, was preserving night vision in one of your eyes so you wouldn't be temporarily blind for a couple of minutes when you went below decks. That's fascinating. Yeah. yeah. Good to know. Very fun. Good to know. So let's talk now briefly about the clip that I particularly enjoyed, which was um, complete and utter horse shit when it came from Alex's mouth. Uh, let's ha. play it and we'll talk about it. She is one beautiful lady. Purrs like a kitty at 12 G's. No, 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 no. Is anybody following us? No, sir. Scope's clear. So, really quickly, um, the most intense roller coasters that are out there pull around six to six and a half G's. Like, that's as much as you can put somebody through before they will, you know, very much puke. Um, the most you can put a human body through before the heart will fail. Uh, to be able to pump blood up, like you, your heart literally cannot pull the blood from your feet uh, back up to the rest of your body uh, if you exceed nine Gs. So I don't care what the crash couch is and like the juice is able to do for you. Like, it's well, wait, not wait, but here's make my heart. But here's my question. So like, 
isn't he talking about like once they're at cruising speed and they've stopped? Like if you're if you're accelerating at like one G consistently, like you'll get up to moving that speed. Like I'm having a hard time figuring no, no, out no. exactly what he's talking about, but that's how I interpreted it. It's like once they get to cruising speed, it's pretty good. But maybe well, I'm wrong. No, it's they're talking. Ex- so you don't measure speed in G's because G's is acceleration. It's nine point eight four meters per second squared. Like I believe it's nine point eight four, nine point eight ish. Fuck it. Let's say 10, 10 meters per second squared. That's what one G is. So you are measuring anything in terms of G's. It is acceleration. So when he says it's pulling 12 G's, that's the rate at which it is accelerating forward. So most of these ships, if you're traveling and you want to simulate gravity, what you would have to do is accelerate at one G, but that uses up a lot of fuel. Uh, it can, even with the Epstein drive, which is very fuel, uh, conserving conserving um you would still burn through a lot of fuel if you accelerate constantly at 1g they talk about later in another season how you want to have that kind of acceleration in order to uh, allow the body to have blood pool and clot um yeah and let people heal but it's not something that you would be doing on a you wouldn't be traveling at 1g all the time because a if you're uh, a belter it would probably kill you like you would just collapse on the floor um, so they, like the, the Rocinante is definitely not traveling at one G acceleration as a, as a regular, uh, matter of course. Um, yeah. but they accelerate very quickly only in times when they're engaging in like close quarters combat or they're trying to chase somebody down. And that's where like you have to accelerate, but also have like your drugs hooked up to you. So you don't stroke out while you're accelerating. And that whole thing is, that's basically like how much endurance can, like how much can your body take before the human factor in the ship breaks, right? The the ships themselves are are easily clearly over-designed beyond what a person's body can handle uh, because that's not that hard to do. But the mm-hmm. point of the combat situations in The Expanse is all about managing wh- how much damage it does to the people inside the ship before they stroke out, lose consciousness, whatever, or are just you know debilitated in some other way. Uh, and it's pushing those limits versus the other ship doing the same thing. And everybody's going through the same shit the whole time. And apparently this ship can go 12 G's, which means that they would all just die. Um, <laughs> later on in this, I believe it's in this season. Yeah, it's it's at the end of this season. Uh, they are chasing something, uh, pulling seven G's, and everybody is like starting to trickle blood out of their nose and stuff like that. That's at seven yeah. G's. So. I don't know what the fuck he's talking about here. I think that they just fucked up in the script because if it's pulling 12 G's and it's purring like a kitty, y'all are dead. So yeah, this is sort of a, a, a Kessel run in a number of parsecs sort of situation. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but they retconned that back in to say he could go, you know, he had shortcuts through anomalous space. It didn't, it didn't, it didn't make any sense. It made very, it, yeah. Anyways, but uh, one thing I do want to turn to real quick is we mentioned uh, Fred Johnson, uh, and we're not going to like focus too much on his storyline here, but I do want to talk about how he does pop up, and he's cited as the butcher of Anderson Station. And so yeah. as a Marine colonel, he was brought in to quell a, an uprising by a bunch of miners who were, having, uh, who were basically advocating for better rights and better living conditions and educational conditions for their kids. And uh, he ended up slaughtering all of them uh, because unbeknownst to him, they had surrendered. Uh, but the UNN had decided to uh, jam all communications, so he ordered an attack because he thought the uprising was still going on, even though these families had surrendered. And after that, Fred Johnson 
sort of came back home, was given an award, never really spoke up about what actually happened, but then left the, the UNN and became uh, a member of the Outer Planets Alliance and joined them as the head of Tycho Station, where he's building that gigantic Mormon ship, the Naboo. And so Mormons him in reaching- space. Yes. <laughs> But him reaching out to the the crew of what's now the Tachi um, is sort of like it's weird because Fred Johnson could be playing all three sides. Nobody really knows where he stands. Nobody really trusts him uh, because he has switched alliances and because he has like moved around and he has like deep operational knowledge of two of the major powers in the system right now. But he is the only person who a seems to be able to communicate with them and b uh, is reaching out and offering them something. So we'll have to we'll have to wait and see where that one goes. Uh, I think we want to move on now from that. We want to talk about uh, we want to talk about Miller finally getting like he's teased out some some threads. He's beginning to pull the lead on the case. Let's talk about this a little bit because now the Julie Mao mystery is is beginning to go places. Sure. Should we just play the clip and then talk about it? Yeah, we can do that. Yeah. We can also talk yeah. over it if we want. Yep, here we go. Boop. You know, everything going on out there, all this shitstorm that we're in, it's all got to do with her. Julie Mao. Honestly, this was like one of the <laughs> most satisfying you know that memory crypt threads that we took in the stiff? first season yeah. was right. him putding all these so pieces 3D. together. It had an unregistered flight path. It's and very it noir. Like it's yeah. it's very true to the noir Anubis. detective uh, genre. Anubis. Left Phoebe Research. I also appreciate that he can't pronounce Anubis. Eros. Okay. Now. <laughs> like I'm six thinking, different ways. Hmm, yeah. Maybe something's being transported on this ship. I want this I'm display so badly. Julie's man. ship was sent out to intercept it. And then, suddenly, ships start blowing up the Canterbury, the Donager. It's got to be connected. Does Shadid know about any of this? I told her about Julie. I told her about the scopula. We haven't talked about Shadid, she but Shadid's a sack of shit. <laughs> she, will, she will be coming up here shortly. More pieces ah. to the puzzle. What do you think is on this Anubis? Something. Something worth spilling a lot of blood over. Miller, maybe this is above your pay grade. <laughs> yep. But now we're so, beginning yeah. to see the threads teased out where there's something – nobody knows what happened on Phoebe. Everybody just knows that something went down in the deep dark on Phoebe station. And Phoebe is a uh, uh, a body that that uh, orbits Saturn? Correct. Okay. It's an extrasolar Sorry, body of... is the way they explain it. And it's – right now we look at Phoebe and well, believe they it's a moon. They... Yeah, I mean, well, we—I don't think there's been the reveal that it's extrasolar, but at, it, but at this point, all we know about Phoebe, like in our universe or in in oh. our uh, real science, is that uh, Phoebe uh, orbits around Saturn, and it's just kind of a cold, dead hunk of uh, rock and ice. Oh, I thought that they had revealed that it was extrasolar. They didn't reveal anything else about it, but I believe that that was the that was mentioned somewhere. It's mentioned somewhere at some point in this that it is from outside of the solar system, and it's basically like. That's why there's a research station there is because they're like, this is weird. You know, mm -hmm. this is, you know, a, an extrasolar body that got trapped in the gravity well of Saturn and became effectively a moon. Um, how neat. Let's explore what's going on here. And, uh, of course, the scientists do exactly that. Um, but, yeah, so the, the this this whole thread, like, honestly, that's one of the things that really did it for me with getting me into this show in the first place was that noir aspect of it. Um, and Miller is just so much fun to watch him 
you know, solve this mystery, even though I've seen him solve it, you know, a dozen times, I guess, at this point, seeing as I've rewatched this a bunch. Yeah. Um, but, but from here, what, but from here, where we're going to go is we're going to talk a little bit about the unrest that has come out of, as the as Miller just yeah. mentioned, the destruction of the can't. So, Logan, I'm going to turn it over to you to talk about, like, what the OPA is doing uh, now that the the main source of water for Ceres and for the belt has been destroyed. I mean, they're rioting basically i mean it's it's getting rough out there uh they've already uh, uh skewered a cop uh with uh, uh some sort of metal instrument uh and they're plastering some sort of a mining tool it seems yeah and i mean and they're they're plastering holden's face everywhere just everywhere and so the moment that the rossi gets uh i think it was uh tapped into a feed on ganymede yeah. uh the first thing they see is oh oh holden's everywhere oh they're well, spray painting his face on signs oh that's interesting first they find out that the the canterbury is not forgotten because they were that was what they were afraid of was that the yeah the message never got through they believed that they were you know their comms were jammed and that nobody would know that the Canterbury had been destroyed. Oh, they um, know. Yeah, exactly. So let's uh, let's play that clip. This was the scene as police were assaulted, businesses looted, and innocents trampled, while the wave of anti-colonial outrage I do love the Capri Suns. Impoverished everywhere. Holy shit. Protests demanding justice for lost ship Canterbury and her crew gave way to violent mobs. There's Shitster. It's like we're not the only ones. Shitster professional. Retaliation for what some are calling a massacre and others dismissing as a mere industrial accident. Can't be. <laughs> What's up? Hey, um, I just tugged into a feed from Ganymede, and uh, when you sent that message to Fred Johnson, you didn't give him our names or anything, did you? No, of course not. Well, partner, it's going to be kind of hard for you to stay anonymous now. Let me know if you want your face to look a little different. <laughs> he has some of the best lines in the whole series. <laughs> Amos always knows what to say. <laughs> he really does. <laughs> now, one of the things that we're, we're there's a big theme in this episode, especially with Fred Johnson, especially with uh, Holden and also with Julie Mao, is the theme of people from Earth, people from the core coming out to the belt and then becoming sympathetic to the plight of the belters and like becoming basically throwing in with the belters, despite their like their literal privilege. And in Julie Mao's case, like her family is the wealthiest family in the entire solar system. Um, her dad is like the Jeff Bezos of everything. If Jeff Bezos had, you know, not just an Amazon and the idea for blue origins, but like a space Navy to go along with blue origins. Um, so I was hoping y'all can kind of like concept. talk about this because you know where we don't see that coming from as much is from the Martians. Like, Alex is the only Martian we've seen who's, like, not really a Martian anymore. And even him, he was, like, he did his full service, and then he basically became, like, a delivery truck driver. Um, and not because he, like, loved the Belters, but he was just like, you know, my family kind of hates me. I kind of I need a better place to be. I don't want to keep sleeping on the couch. So I guess, I guess I'm going to run water for the, the Canterbury. But that's about it. But we, we keep seeing this, this uh, theme of the the most privileged people in the system becoming uh, champions for the least privileged people in the system. 
And for Julie Mao, it almost happened on accident because the, the reality was that she was just super done with being under the thumb of her father. And what's the best way to piss off your rich father? Go hang out with poor people. And so she went and did that. And that ended up radicalizing her to the point of uh, I, I recall one such story where she went into an area where belters uh, were working and were oh, dying. We're, we're gonna- we're going to play that in a second. We're going to play that. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's one of the clips here, but the, uh, what I, I was, I think that touching on why, cause we do see that a lot with earth. My guess is that you see that more with earth because earth is so dysfunctional. Like it is, it is such a not good place to be poor or to be much of anything really, unless you're like in the upper of uh, the upper, upper crust, like shit sucks. Mm-hmm. Like, living on basic income, living on, you know, waiting and waiting and waiting for the lottery for a job. Like the overwhelming majority of people on earth, like are not happy with their lot in life. And I feel like that probably weighs on the collective, you know, the id within the society. There, there is this desire to, to get away from it and that everything like, like everything is fucked up. So then, you know, let's, let's see what else is out there. And then I think that that's why you find more disaffected earthers out in the, in the system doing this kind of stuff. Like I, you know, Julie is a special case, obviously, but like, uh, with, um, why am I drawing a blank on his name? Uh, Holden, Holden, like Holden getting out there, like, he went through some shit and like the, the pressures of, of trying to be part of the way that society was on earth was too much for him. I don't think that there's as much of an opportunity for that on Mars because Mars, there's way, way more intensive propaganda. Like you can't go two steps without being told like, it's a fucking fascist state basically. Like yeah, what? Yeah. It's not, it's definitely embodying that like, uh, ask not what your country can do for you ethos it is very much a what can you do right now what the fuck are you doing to help mars become better to be, you know to have a, a an atmosphere and running water and body like an ocean on mars like what the fuck are you doing to make that happen and if you're not doing something mm-hmm. to make that happen right now you are the dregs of society so it feels like mars just has more of their shit together because there's so much work to be done and there's so much propaganda being just poured into their veins that nobody really stops to think about it and there's just like there's just a lot less disaffected population on mars from what we can see we really don't have much insight into mars at this point like you said everyone kind of there has a purpose and also it seems like resources are much more tightly controlled it's a lot harder because of the way that just mars works ecologically speaking to just disappear whereas on the planet earth like it's billions and billions of people. It's much easier for you to just like hop on a ship and get to Luna and get out to the belt. Mars, like they have to account for everything. Everyone there is still living on a dome. Yep. Absolutely. Um, All right. But let's but, watch yeah, this clip. It's a pretty, it's an interesting story. It's like street watch in space. As wrong about it as I was. Yeah. A month into the trip, we stopped over at the mines on Callisto. News was that, uh, a tunnel collapsed and torn open veins of cadmium and people were dying from the vapors. After two days down at the aid camp, I begged Julie to get out of there, but she said she was okay. She said she felt safe. She stayed down in the mines, eating the same poison air as those adults, eating the same contaminated food. She was helping kids. 
They lost their parents, folks who... It's almost as big as Mercury. ...choking on the blood in their lungs. Yeah, yeah. So I didn't realize that. Tear over the fact that she didn't take anti-cancer meds for the rest of her life. Only time I did see her cry was, uh... These belters at a rally. I told her, you're one of us now. You're mine. So, by the way, uh, Ganymede is the largest moon in the solar system. Uh, I believe our moon is the second largest, and then uh, Callisto is the third largest. And Ganymede is larger than Mercury. Damn, that's crazy. I'm learning it also, stuff. It also generated its own magnetic field at some point. So, hey, then that comes into stuff later, too. Hey, it does. <laughs> but kind of what we see with, with, we see with Julie Mao is she starts off – Becoming sympathetic to the Belters, realizing that that these are people who need help, who are being exploited by people like her father and the corporations that make up the Earth Corps, who, you know, basically own the deeds and the titles and have complete ownership of their lives out there on the belt. And then she finds out that her father's engaged in more nefarious stuff. It's not just Walmart level stuff. Like I was saying, you know, it's like if Walmart also had like an Eric Prince level army, which who knows, maybe they do. But um, it's, it's not just having a private army. It's having a private army and having a super advanced secret weapons lab research. Like, that's yes. what the problem is. It's not just them being mercenary shitheads. It's like, oh, my God, they're developing the newest weapons technology. Like, what the fuck is this? But as as uh, Miller keeps tracing this path, it's bringing him more and more into conflict with the OPA and especially the higher ups in the OPA who are running these high level operations to try and like get more power for the belt in ways that you can't be completely transparent about. But before we, we th follow that thread through, cause we're going to, we're going to catch up on that. in the, in the next episode, I mean, episode six later in this episode of our podcast, just to confuse your brains a little bit more. Let's talk about what's happening over on the Tachi because you can't just be flying around in a ship that's squawking out the name of a stolen Martian warship that tends to give things away. And the idea that you can just change a ship's name is also something they don't let you do. Like, it's a very knowing who a ship is, what the drive signature is, who that ship belongs to. These are all very important things when you're out there in space where there's like, you know, there aren't motorcycle cops checking your registration. No. So the ability to change a ship's identity is a very delicate and nearly impossible thing. And as, as Naomi describes while she's getting ready to do this operation, which we're going to show here, if you try and did this in or try and do this in a regular civilian vessel, well, the whole transponder would fry itself. Like the ship would basically make itself unflyable and it would just, you'd have a brick that you would then freeze to death in slowly over time. But because of Fred Johnson's knowledge of high level military stuff, he's able to tell her exactly what to do in order to change this Martian warship's transponder at the risk of blowing, some, blowing themselves the fuck up if she does it wrong. Oh yeah, it's basically a nuclear warhead within the ship that will just incinerate the entire thing if uh, if she fucks up the uh, instructions. Um, but yeah, anonymity in space is a thing that you just can't get. Uh, they do not want you to be anonymous in space because anonymous in space is dangerous for everyone, as we'll see later in uh, the fifth season when we get there. It's, it comes up in other times, but whatever. We need to give the ship a new name to complete the override. Screaming Firehawk. Yeah, let's Alex. advertise that we're a gunship. Flying Alamo. He's such no. an idiot. Give me something, please. Rosinante. Huh? Aww. 
It's Spanish for workhorse. I like it. I knew a lady named Rosinante. She was good to me. Five on. He knew a lady named Workhorse. <laughs> I mean, his backstory is just wild. It is. Uh, so I believe him when he says it, like straight up. Oh yeah. There's the little nuclear, the nuclear dynamite stick. <laughs> Woohoo! Hey, we didn't die. Swelling orchestral yep. music. Oh, they're becoming a family. Yep. And then now they're now we're gonna do a little bit of character development because they all have to settle into the ship and as like naomi was was voicing some skepticism earlier in this episode uh very angry that the ship could run its own diagnostics and tell her everything that <laughs> needed to be fixed on it because she was used to ships that don't do that ships where you have to figure out what's wrong with it on your own and then like make that fix yourself so uh let's play this little clip of them settling in and then we're going to move on to the next episode where we really get deep there's not going to be too much earth stuff but we're going to get really deep into the conflict between mars and the belt uh, alex with his headphones and country music i mean it's good to know beats are still around yeah yeah right Now, see, this is this is a, I feel a bit of fiction because, like, with global climate change on the way, the coffee belt is going to be dead in about thirty years. Like, there will yep. be no more coffee on Earth. So, this is a very optimistic view of the Earth. Hey, this with the booze. <laughs> Holden really likes his coffee. abrupt end but yes <laughs> that was that that was kind of how it ended on the on the show Fair. anyways it just sort of cuts to black for the for the the um the credits there you go but so that this is going to take us into episode six and episode six uh basically has the crew traveling out to tycho station and beginning their uh their negotiations with uh, fred johnson as to whether or not they actually want to trust him whether or not they actually do want to give this guy uh anything uh in terms of negotiation and it, it sets a very interesting conflict between a couple of different like earthers who turn their back on earth but before that i want to talk about this scene that happened out with this mining ship and uh our, our favorite uh boy diego who was busted by miller diogo, stealing water man. diogo thank you he is what now working head. as a as a miner uh with his uncle out there in the out there in the big empty so i'm gonna let the two of you take it away Oh, Go for it, my boy, Di my boy, Diogo. He just he, <laughs> what he lacks in sense, he makes up with a wrench. And so he's just he's out rock hopping with his uncle, just trying to find, you know, any kind of rocks out in space that might have uh, any kind of minerals or any valuable, you know, material whatsoever. And so, of, of course, uh because they're poor belters, uh, they get stopped by the cops, you know, just, uh, you know, your, your typical traffic stop. And of course, you know, it's just a random traffic stop. They, they, they're they're belt. They just happen to be belters. Yeah. And well, it's, it's something I think that's interesting is, you know, when we talk about states, 
you know, one of the defining characteristics of a state like a nation state or a state that has some power is the ability to tax. And that's essentially what they're mm -hmm. getting called out on here is that they're not paying their taxes in order to operate in this trade zone. And it's something that the OPA doesn't do. Like the OPA can't officially tax anyone. And that means they're not able to build financial resources. So let's this first clip is of, um, you know, they're scrapping together what they can, how they can. And so they're, they're, the whole point here is to grab an asteroid, break it down to its uh, to chunks that are then you know, not recognizable as being an entire rock, but smaller pieces of a rock, which you can then transport uh, more readily. I'm not actually sure why they do it, but whatever. That's what they do. Probably makes um, probably makes it easier to, to process also. Probably, yes. But I don't know why they necessarily have to do it here. But anyway, uh, they, they're using some less than optimal material when it comes to this, this job because uh, they're poor as shit and they're trying to just scrape by. So here we go. He's getting fucking hammered on the job, too. Yeah. The tornado ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. You lock down the net? Yeah, yeah. Then why is my money floating away? Something. Stupid good for nothing rat. The net is old. By the time we secure the hole, half will be lost. I'll barely make enough to cover the trip. Uh, yeah. So then let's just go right into the, uh, the definitely not profiled traffic stop. Um, fortunately it's not so much racism now as it is just like really just brutal class, uh, you know, conflict. Yeah. So yeah. let's just go straight into that and then we'll talk more. And also it's named the Scipio Africanus. That's the, the Martian, um, vessel. Uh, and what that an says obnoxious a lot. name. What an obnoxious name. Yeah, the Martians, they that like their fascism. They do. They very much do. Transporting on weapons. No. What's the problem, Bozeman? Sorcerer transponder. Says here is expired. What happened, Pebble Jockey? Did you get drunk and forget to renew your license? I didn't have the script, Copain. I had to replace yeah, the... Yeah, you belters always got an excuse. We're gonna have to AO-66 you. When you arrive on Euros, your cargo will be held under lien until your fines are paid in full. Oh, come on, there must be something. Leave hey. him alone. See, 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 see. Why are you doing this, huh? Impound our hull. There's nothing left for your tax man, Jose. Are we being too hard on you? Should, should we cut your break? We are just trying to feed our families. I'll tell you what I'm going to do for you. Absolutely nothing. What God gives you the right to life's riches, huh? You set up your zone cells where we can and cannot go. You're living belly full with your glass palaces while half my people are starving to death? How is this justice? You skinnies want to take credit for blowing up the Donager. We'll give you justice with both hands. What are we going to blow up your big Martian worship with, huh? Get the pebbles? Have a nice day. Yeah, yeah. sorry. Uh, the Martians can be dicks. 
Well, and it's it's like uh, you know that that quote from Miller: "There are no there are no laws on series, only cops." Only cops. And that's yeah. the same thing out there. You know, who can exercise power? And it's this the state in the Martian Republic. It's the the UN. Uh, they have the gunships, they have the guns, and they have the the trained and ready to fight cops. So a belter trying to make a living is sort of at the whims of whatever patrol officers he comes across. Uh, except, and Chris, this is where this is where more physics enter into the situation because, as uh-huh. we've discussed several times, uh, you can do a lot of damage with bodies in motion. <laughs> Absolutely. So, um, unfortunately for uh, this rock hopper, he does not have the capacity to turn his cargo into a railgun, but he tries the next best thing, uh, basically accelerating his ship as quickly as possible and then uh, throwing his cargo. Uh, at the cops because he's mad, uh, signing his own death warrant. But it's it's a it's a it's you know, and you also do he, a... he does he does he does kick his his nephew out to save <laughs> his no life before he does that. So we we we're not going to show that scene. Um, but he does like he does save his nephew. This is a this is a suicidal, not a a homicidal uh, or familial you know murder run. This is I... this is really him taking vengeance. I also want to bring something up here with when uh, Mateo uh, kicked Diogo out. I mean, the one thing that Diogo just kept yelling, I'm sorry, I'll work harder, I'll work harder. Like, that's just, he thought that all of this was just because he didn't work hard enough, because that is how belters think, is if they are, you know, set aside for any reason, it must be because they didn't work hard enough. And well, and also that, he did he did fuck up a little earlier. So I, you know, there, there without an explanation, it's, it's understandable that he would be like, "Oh my god, my my uncle's so mad at me for costing him money. He's gonna strand me in space and leave me to die." But no, he actually wanted to do something uh, far more. I guess glorious is a way of putting it. Like he, he was trying to go yeah. out in a blaze of glory. So here we go. Uncle Mateo, please, you don't need to do this. man's going to stand up. I do love that it shows, like, all of the Uncle things Mateo. he's urging at once. And he's like, that's not quite a stand up. Come back. We'll be okay. He can only live so long. With a boot to our necks, that's okay. Uncle Mateo, you don't need to do this. We'll be okay. You are an unauthorized interceptor. A judge will judge you immediately. Someone will find you out there. We'll be okay. Someday, That's basically the equivalent of firing a shotgun at another ship. Yeah. And it definitely caused a lot of damage, but. Still, it's a rock hopper ship. <laughs> and poor Diogo's just kind of, he's just kind of out there in the big empty. There's not really much you can do. Um, he's just sort of left to float there. Uh, I hope he has one of the fancy spacesuits that lets you use the restroom in it. Otherwise, that will probably get very uncomfortable. I think they, I think they all do. Uh, like, I don't think there's any way to not have one that does that. Um, they don't really talk about it too much, but it's kind of a necessary feature. <laughs> and, you know, something something we'll see talked about a little bit. And we don't see the UNN doing this as much. Like, we don't see the UNN running as much um, 
kind of trade route regulation is it is it seems like the the martians are like i think partly because of proximity it's just easier for mars to operate out there they're closer to the belt than uh than earth is and also earth sort of has like an already stable center like earth can produce some of its own stuff on its planet, whereas Mars pretty much has to import everything that they're going to use. But this brings us uh, back to uh, Ceres and Detective Miller, because now he's got an idea about what's happening. He's discovered some video that Julie Mao saw that that apparently sent her off on the Anubis uh, to try and track down the Scopuli, or sorry, sent her off on the Scopuli to try and track down the Anubis, which led to the destruction of the Canterbury. Like, there are big conspiratorial things at play. So we're going to play this one real quick because this is kind of the beginning of the big reveal about what what this whole series is going to uh, kind of orbit around. Jesus, Miller, should I even ask? I figured it out. Most of it anyway. Yeah. It's not dormant. It's giving off heat. I'm seeing molecular reactions, vibrations. I do love that she just has like a little all across the spectrum. Can you hear vaporizer me? there? Look at this thing. What the hell am I looking at? Aromatherapy. Uh, such a oh, such a some kind of bioweapon. Where'd this recording come from? Phoebe. That's what I think. Phoebe, Phoebe Station. I meant where'd you get it? Julie Mao. She bought that from a data broker. She gave it to Dawes. Dawes crewed up this black bag ship, which vanishes with all souls aboard. And then Data broker ends up dead, and ships start blowing up. We know who's pulling the strings? <sighs> Let's play it through. Scientists on Phoebe discover something, something big, that would tip the balance of power. The OPA gets wind of it. They send a crew out to steal it. Mission goes south, which leaves someone with a lot of power, a lot of resources, who do anything to be quiet, including starting a war. And that man, he holds the key. Radiation levels are off the charts. We're ready for the next phase. We need to get a sample of Phoebe. Now. Yep. Yeah. And then Miller promptly gets fired for knowing all that. <laughs> but why? But why does he get fired? I mean, it's quite clear that uh, he is definitely poking the bear with regards to some very powerful and wealthy people, likely somebody who might have a stake in the company that he currently works for. Well, and, it also it also seems like his boss is bought off by the OPA. When he gets escorted out by security, one of them's got an OPA tattoo. So exactly. Anderson Dawes is like, this guy's getting too close, you know, and he loses all of his evidence, all the evidence he just had figuring out how to, to link Miller to the dis- or, sorry, not Miller, how to link Dawes to the disappearance of Julie Mao and this huge conspiracy to steal this new weapon technology. All just got locked in a safe that he no longer has access to. He is essentially uh, a jobless belter now, and he's kind of a left adrift on the station, which brings him directly into conflict with Anderson Dawes. And Anderson Dawes has a very, as he's trying to get Miller to explain to him everything that he knows and what's going on, Miller kind of comes at him with some some charges that Anderson Dawes is just a very heartless power broker. And this kind of takes us back to the heartlessness or the the hopelessness 
of being a belter and the story that Dawes tells about the passing of his sister that is really kind of heartbreaking. And also, like, I I, this is just uh, I'm sorry. What's the actor's name? I'm I'm Jared Harris. Jared Harris is just a tour de force in pretty much every role he's in. Let's just play it. It's like your sister. All right. When she like 15, when you let her die out on the belt. Sure. It's part of the legend you like to leave out. Everybody knows that story. I doubt that. You're just stupid kids, right? Rock hopping out on the belt. And what? You forgot to check her mag boots or something? (laughs) She was your sister. She relied on you to keep her safe. Would you like me to tell you the real story? I'm sure you've told so many lies about it, you don't even remember what happened. My sister Athena was touched by the hand of God. Good name, the most beautiful child in all the belt, the smartest. But she was fragile. Her bones were like chalk from spending a lifetime in zero G. She was never going to recover. An impossible burden for a dirt poor family of rock hoppers. And when she became too ill, even to travel. I had three other sisters to think about. Our family was starving. So you killed her? And that makes me a monster. There was no script to bury him, so I laid her to rest in a beautiful bauxite tunnel that we discovered together. Do you know, is is possible to cry so hard that your tears turn to blood? <laughs> and living with this pain, I came to realize that I have millions of brothers and sisters in the belt. I even count you among them. As I did, Julie, and Eartha. So everybody dies for the cause. Except for you. He is a bit of a cynical bastard, though, isn't he? Oh. Yeah. And I mean, that, that entire story is Anderson Dawes explaining, I want you to understand why I am about to have you killed. Yeah. Just the entire time. I want you to understand why I am about to have you killed. This is why. Yep. There's only so much to go around out here on the belt, and you are no longer worth the investment of resources. Uh, what we didn't cover this episode that we'll uh, be touching on more because it it, it it we'll have more time to focus on it is what happened with Fred Johnson and uh, James Holden. They kind of came to an understanding. Uh, they're going to dress up the new, the newly named Rocinante as a gas hauler, and they're going to go out and they're going to try and find this OPA uh, asset and figure out what the hell happened. Uh, and so as they set out to do that, um, there's going to be some more intrigue and stuff that comes along with it because, again, as we covered, the Martians are out there patrolling, looking for ships. Uh, they clearly have a very noticeable stolen Martian warship, and uh, if they are, are come across many Martian patrols, there's probably going to be some questions asked about that. 
But we have our, our favorite segment now, uh, yes. Officer Rala's fashion moment. So, Logan, I'm going to let you take this one. I mean, what is there to say about just Avasarala's fashion right here? Because, I mean, what? It, it, it's like, what, a deep maroon with uh, uh, jewels along the neckline. And, and well, honestly, it's very simple compared to some of her other outfits. But sort of a sari, sort of yeah. a sort of a pantsuit combination, like not really yeah. not really anything purely, but kind of a mashup of, of several different cultures and power styles. Which, you know, is kind of how she very uh, uh, low-key communicates things to other people in having low key? some... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Her version of low-key, let's be real. Fair, fair. It's as subtle, that's as subtle as she gets. <laughs> but having different, different styles of, of clothing to be able to you know, quote unquote, relate to people of different cultures, depending on the situation. And, and, and I mean, that's just, you know, that's just Avasarala. It's just, you know, like we learned, you know, when we were talking last episode, she will do anything to win, even if that means making you feel like a friend. Yeah. Absolutely. That's our right. She's amazing. <laughs> Anyway, so uh, before we head out for this week, uh, what are y'all's thoughts on the next couple episodes we got coming up? Because we're we're now heading into the back four, as it were. We've only got four episodes left in the season, and then we'll be swapping over to season two, uh, where things get a lot more shooty. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely going to get a lot more shooty. Uh, I I'm definitely uh, excited for Amos to start getting into the mix because. You know, we've been kind of waiting to to really see him kick some ass. And, and it's really looking like uh, now that he's able to, like, hold guns and point it at people, he sure likes doing that. So we're going to see more of that. And I can't wait. Yeah. 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 No, things are things are going to get very interesting very quickly here. Um, you you there's a lot of character development coming up for Holden um, in these next four yes. episodes. Uh, and. The, you know, the, the clash of two, like, we've got multiple storylines coming together here in a ways, like, one of, one of the best lines from uh, episode six, which we didn't clip for um, my fault reasons, um, is when uh, Holden first meets Fred Johnson, and Fred Johnson says, Holden, you son of a bitch, and, or something along those lines, and it refers to him as either being... Uh, a mastermind, like a, a, a crazy mastermind or the luckiest uh, dumb son of a bitch in the universe, uh, which pretty much fits. It pretty much fits. Uh, so, yeah, we get to see some more uh, some collisions of storylines in, in some really interesting ways coming up here. Uh, and also just like a, a true, expo ex you know, exploration of just how fucked up it can get to be uh, living in a you know, in, in the the uh, the outer reaches of empire where, you know, the system has just the capitalist system has just churned and churned and churned and all that's left are scraps. So when we go and we actually get to see what it's like on Phoebe Station, uh, or not Phoebe Station, on um, Eros. Eros, yes, thank you. Eros, yeah, no, my, one of my favorite sequences is coming up actually next episode uh, where we get to see libertarians but libertarians <laughs> on Earth. Now, you would think that the libertarians would naturally flee to space, uh, but it turns out, no. 
because libertarians are kind of <laughs> kind of lazy and they don't build their own stuff. They're not going to like start space steading because that takes like a lot of cooperative work. So they're just going to kick down on Earth and claim some land. And it's it's a very interesting look into, I think, a particularly American um idiosyncrasy if not psychosis of believing in the myth of the individual but uh, as we head into these next couple episodes things are going to get really really fun thank you all for uh joining us uh especially i know a lot of people are listening on the podcast hopefully the fact that this is a visual series isn't turning you off too much uh you can always <laughs> tune in on uh twitch.tv slash ground game la chris is still uh live streaming uh and yelling at city council tuesdays and wednesdays hey. it would be on fridays but city council is graciously giving Chris the day off, uh, despite the <laughs> fact that the law says that they're supposed to be meeting on Fridays. Chris and I are also back every Monday at 7 p.m. on Twitch. Uh, audio for the the audio version of the weekly news update goes out Tuesday mornings. Also, to let you all know, Olympics LA is going to be hosting a new podcast. The first eight episodes of the Rings of Hell series that we produced with them back in 2018 are re-hosted, and then they're going to be giving us new episodes every single week starting here in the next week or two. Uh, you can also listen to them on NetNet Radio if you want to listen in live. Uh, Sundays, I believe, at 5 p.m. And Logan, if you've got anything to promote, so it's not just the me and Chris promotion show, feel free to promote something. I have nothing to promote. I'm just trying to get my <laughs> foot in the door, man. <laughs> I'm just trying to get on TV. Let's get. Let's. Uh, we can. We can make some more podcasts where we don't get paid. It's super fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah we'll, exactly. we'll do that, and then and you then just, I can just show cross up. promote for the same no, you, for the same people. You just show up to your landlord with a with a check that's written out for exposure, and you just say, "Here you go. Here is fifteen hundred exposures, sir." And then <laughs> and then they call the cops on you. So fun fun story before we before we sign off. Uh, this week we're going to be having um, Rob Kwan on the podcast to talk about redistricting here in Los Angeles. But we actually just in got an space? email. Re redistricting, no, in Los Angeles, not in space. But it's fun that we just got an email during the show uh, that the uh, commission hearing that's supposed to happen on Tuesday, which is kind of the point of having Rob on on Monday, uh, is is uh, is canceled. So who knows what the fuck's happening here, but Nuri Martinez uh, does not want to Second. let us redraw those boundaries. Second largest city in America, folks. It's uh, it's great. Uh, this, is, this is one reason I watched The Expanse, and I'm like, you know, it's so optimistic that they think we're still going to be around in 400 years. It's, just, it's a very rosy view of human evolution. But on that note, uh, have yourselves a lovely, lovely weekend. We will catch you all next week. Thank you for tuning in. I think at some point, it's not going to be this week. Like I said, I, I've had two root canals in three days, and I am dead fucking tired. But at some point, we're going to play some video games after the show as well. So um, stay tuned for that. We've been teasing that for a while, and at some point, Eventually. that's going to happen. Eventually. <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Logan. Squirrel, great chatting with you as always. See y'all next week for sure, but also I'm probably going to see some of you later because yeah, that's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye, friend. <laughs>